Hello, uh, I'm Ben Waddington. I'm here to host another edition of the Resleeves podcast. I've been joined this afternoon by Jez Collins. And um, when I do the introductions to a lot of people, I can't remember what, how they refer to themselves. And that's perhaps because I refer to myself as something different each time. So perhaps, Jez, you can introduce your, yourself, what your role is. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, my name is Jez Collins and I work full time at Birmingham City University in the Centre for Media and Cultural Research. And I research uh, around the music industries in its broadest sense, but particularly around uh, music heritage. And that's come from really my practice-based work as the founder of the Birmingham Music Archive, uh, which is an online repository to seeks to celebrate, share and preserve uh, Birmingham's music heritage. The co-producer of uh, Made in Birmingham, Reggie Ponkambanga, uh, a documentary film. And I've recently just uh, helped release a lost reggae uh, band by the Birmingham group Eclipse. So uh, a mixture of things. I, I guess I, I call myself a social and cultural entrepreneur. Sounds good. Well, um, the, the, the theme of today's uh, podcast is um, a recent celebration um, of the, uh, the, the Pro Birmingham Promoter Catapult Club, um, a, a, an enterprise entirely created by Arthur Tapp. And um, this was about 24 years in, in the making. And um, what we've got assembled here is uh, some posters, some demo tapes, and... Um, uh, what we what we'll be talking about first, I think, is the the poster that we've we've got here. One of the things that I was very um, um, uh, interested in was how Arthur would pretty much stick with it, the format for the entire uh, twenty five years, nearly of um, uh, of promoting the, um, uh, the the various bands that would largely be playing at the the Jugger Vale. So that the venue, I think, changed from. Um, I think he'd been at the Hare and Hounds, Kings Heath, and uh, um, become the, the the resident promoter of the Jug of Ale Mosley. Um, but just the fact that uh, his um, his approach began well, this must have been about 1988 or something when it went when the earliest um, uh, posters went up. And of course, in those days, it was um, uniformly. Uh, Cut and paste collages, photocopied from uh, magazines or just whatever happened to be around. Um, but um, he 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 stuck with this format, um, largely unchanging for, for for all that time. I think um, one of the recurring themes is uh, a, um, a an iconic image. So in this, uh, I, can, I can't, I'm not sure if I can identify who that is, but seemingly preside Diana Rigg from Di Avengers. It is, it is indeed a, um, Diana Rigg. And um, she seems to be presiding over a list of the uh, the various um, uh, bands who are playing for that season, or it's uh, November, December 1998 specifically. And I wonder if this is a conceit of Arthur's with the typography. In, he's um, chosen a different typeface for the um, each band, but would I, I don't know if you know would each of those bands have had that? <laughs> would anyone else have associated the uh, the typeface with that um, with that particular band? Oh, good question. I think uh, Arthur, as you say, was quite uniform. If you look at there's a band on here called King of Dora, who got to a modicum of of uh, success in music, and that's definitely their their type um, font. Alaska at the bottom here. Uh, were another band who uh, made some 
headway, and that's their font. So I think, um, without being 100% uh, sure, there is definitely an element of their own, the own band's typeface and logos appearing, and he would just get that um, sent through to him via post, um, or even probably 1998 by uh, email. But the, the rest of the typeface um, and font is uniform. And what I love about this particular um, poster, um, I have, we, I think there's something in the region of 200, 250 posters at the exhibition, which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but what I love about this poster is this, it's the sense of the, you know, the cutting out and the sticking on of different elements of uh, information. So at the very top, you have the Catapult Club presents live indie slash alternative bands upstairs at the Juggabale. That's one piece of stuck on uh, paper. Then underneath that, you have November 1988, another stuck on piece of paper. Then you have the uh, a little square of the bands. That's a separate piece. Down the middle, he's put a, a dividing line, which is a black strip, which is cut out and stuck on. And on the right-hand side of the poster, then you have December 1988 and, and the band. And it, it just uh, strikes me as incredible that really you're only talking about two, 14 years, 15 years or so ago, um, which is a quite short period of time, really, that promoters, uh, and obviously Arthur in this case, was having to stick all these things on individually to create, as you called it, collage to um, uh, to promote his bands and even there's a tiny little at the bottom a tiny little um, Mosley village uh, cutout where he's even stuck on an even smaller jug of ale um, typeface it looks like he's typed it out and stuck it on and underneath that the bus route's 50 35 50 wide 53 wide and the number one so it's it's just a beaut for me it's a, it's a thing of of some uh, design beauty it's not Aesthetically, you know, gorgeous, but the, the care and the craft and the thought that's gone into it is, is incredible. I think this this period is just before most people had uh, online access. So I think um, I, I seem to remember April nineteen ninety nine being the first um, the, the the first month that I ever had access to the internet, and I remember googling Pram uh, to see if yeah. the, if they were uh, playing or if there's any uh, information on them. But um, because, yeah, this is, uh, you needed to put every single piece of information uh, possible to get people to come to your, to your night. So this, this, <laughs> this tiny little line of text that I don't think would, would appear, you know, no one would do this now to include the bus routes <laughs> and the little map collage of um, where you're actually going to, to, to get here. But, it, but it's um, like you say, it's the it's the craft for me. Uh, it, it's the level of the, I mean, even sticking the black lines to divide November and December, and he would then have gone and photocopied this. So it's not only in the, the sense that he's he's made uh, the design, built the design, crafted the design. He's then had to go and um, photocopy God knows how many numbers of these, and physically go and either post them uh, or go and put them in shops and and, uh, and places. So. Whereas today we still have flyers um, around, but more and more you get online notifications of of, uh, of, of events, whether it's gigs or theatre, whatever it might be. And as I said, it, it, it's just it's the attention to detail that Arthur has put in on this, and I'm sure Arthur wasn't alone in in in, in doing this. But it, it gives you an indication of the kind of person that he is, and the care that he put into his uh, music and to the bands who played. That he was a 
a promoter who actually cared about the music and cared about um, the aesthetics. I don't think I spotted this until uh, looking at it just now, but there's uh, any amount of tipex mm. on the um, the uh, the photocopy of Diana Rigg where he's um, removed extraneous little blobs <laughs> of ink to... Uh, and I suppose also just the fact that he's held on to this for 15 years or whatever it is. Um, it, it, it could easily have been tossed into the the, the rubbish recycling in Mosley, yeah. and um, he's held on to it because it's had that amount of uh, time to snip everything out, glue it into place, and he's held on to it. It's become his own archive, but uh, perhaps because of a recogn- you know, I don't think it's been done as. What's your take on this? Um, has he created his own archive for the future, or has he just ke- held on to it because it's um, something he has put a little bit of soul into uh, into creating? Well, let me give a, a bit of context to the, the sort of um, documents and, and uh, artifacts that we have in front of us. There's some cassette tapes as well, um, five or six of cassette tapes. And what happened uh, about a year and a half or so ago, I got a, a message on Facebook from a guy called Craig Hamilton, who's a local musician, saying, oh, I've just seen Arthur posting that he's throwing out eight or nine bags full of cassette tapes. I thought you might be interested because of your work with the, the music archive. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, absolutely I am. So I, I contacted Arthur, said, don't chuck them, I'll come and get them. Um, and he was like, Why, what on earth do you want with these cassette tapes? You know, there's... there's they're old, they're, you know, not very good, some of them. Um, you know, there's no use for them. But if you want them, come and get them. That's fine by me. So I went around that afternoon, and there was literally eight or nine bagfuls of uh, cassette tapes, C, C90 tapes, um, from a whole host of bands. And what struck me um, was that this is an incredible record of, of uh, bands from Birmingham, from the Midlands, but also uh, from across the country of a time period from about uh, 1988 to about 1996-97 who were looking for gigs uh, with Arthur and uh, some bands had, had created beautifully um, visualised sleeves for the for their cassettes, others had just scored their name and so I took these cassette tapes much to my wife's uh, annoyance and they've lived in the shed for a year, I wasn't, I wasn't sure what on earth I was going to do with them um, I had some ideas, but you know, time and work gets in the way. But I just thought they were, they were important to, to keep as, a, as a, some sort of archival record. Um, and we, if we skip forward uh, about another six months, I had a call from, uh, and there's an answer to your question, but it's a bit long-winded, uh, from Vivid Projects, who were, are running a series of um, revolutionary, uh, they're calling them all 33 revolutions, at their space in the city centre in Digmouth. And they had a spot, and did I? And they'd like to do something about music uh, and art. Would I uh, happen to know anyone who'd be interested in it? And I said, "Well, actually, I've got all these beautiful, um, on the whole, beautiful cassette tapes. Why don't we do an art installation? And we'll ask Arthur to come and speak about his time as, at the Catapult Club. So, and we'll come back on, on onto the the, the ex- exhibition exhibition later." But the process, when I told this to Arthur, he was really up for doing a conversation. And he, he again, he still couldn't quite grasp why anyone would be interested. Why would someone be interested in yeah. Arthur Tapp, who puts all his gigs on in the Midlands, in Birmingham even. Uh, and on the whole, uh, were local bands. He, he did actually do the first Snowfield. He went on to be editors and Ocean Colour Scene. So he had, there were some bigger bands in there. But on the whole, local music. Uh, and he... Because he, the way he is, as the poster, as we've described the poster, very meticulous and very um, 
keen to make sure the aesthetic and what he does right is the best that he can be. He started to go through his posters and these other cassette tapes, and he had a, uh, you know, he's described it as me as a bit of a, 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 a reawakening of uh, memorialising the work that he'd done for the last 24 years, some of the bands he'd put on, all the posters that he, like, as you said, had kept, and he hadn't, he didn't think them as an archive; they were just posters. He's a hoarder, yeah, right? So right okay. you know, right but across the board. I about, think there's yeah. um, a, a difference between hoarding uh, and uh, creating an archive. Absolutely. But the process of him going through this to, to pull out stuff for the exhibition has completely changed his understanding of what it is he's done and what it is he's doing. And he now sees himself, I think, as an archivist that actually there is some importance within this material. He was astounded by his own reaction to it, you know, the, the touching of it, the remembering of the bands and the times it had, the experiences that you know a poster might have had triggered off an experience about a party afterwards or whatever it might be. And then he, when we had the exhibition, seeing people look at, point at, talk about uh, the bands uh, and the artwork, I think has really fired him. So I think he now has a different perspective on what it is he has got and what he's going to do with it. Yeah, it was a, a, at the exhibition, it was a, a very um, uh, moving moment to watch a lot of people, obviously local people, uh, seeing that the posters and to describe the um, the, the setup in the space, um, this was a, 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 a over two walls which were what sort of forty oh, or fifty oh, yeah, feet yeah, long. Yeah, sure. um, so we were looking at about two thousand, um, as I described, broadly um, identical format posters in chronological order, um, and. Um, People were able to pick out the um, the spot on that wall that was perhaps there when they arrived in the city. Uh, so I, I, that was the first thing that I did was uh, to, to to work out what the first. Here's the proof. Here's the evidence of being able to work out what the first um, band I went to see in the um, uh, the Jugavale surely must have been. Um, arriving in Mosley in um, October 1994 and discovering the, um, the, I think I'd even been aware of the uh, the, the Jug of Ale uh, much before that and perhaps even attended one or two events there. But you were able to identify something very personal in your own Mo uh, Mosley or Birmingham um, gig-going history by this uh, chronology of, of data being presented. And from that... Uh, um, having the, a, a direct, immediate connection to a good gig, memories of a good gig. And um, this was what people were doing uniformly in a way that um, I don't think they were treating this as um, purely as a, an, uh, well, how, how best to describe it as if you went to an art exhibition in um, uh, an art gallery, you might um, uh, either um, uh, spend a certain amount of time with each piece uh, or um, a cursory wander around, but people weren't treating it that that way. It was um, being overwhelmed initially by um, seeing all this uh, um, information, you know, being portrayed on the walls, and then understanding how Arthur had pieced it all together at home on his own, uh, bit by bit, uh, for the best part of two two decades or more. And and then working out what your personal relationship to all this information was, and finding. Um, so I think there were a lot of bands there, and the, the the night that I went there, finding their um, and just triggering um, uh, memories. I, I I think in a way that um, 
wouldn't necessarily happen with a, an album sleeve that you would see uh, dozens of times throughout your youth, that it would have a general sense of uh, memory, um, but it, it would be something that you'd see so many times repeatedly that it wouldn't necessarily be tied to a specific um, time. And uh, yeah, this was something that uh, that, uh, that I noticed happening. So very interested by. Well, it's the, 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 the why I do the things that I do is because uh, it's actually less about the the music itself, the recorded music. Although I'm interested in that, it's about uh, the ephemera of popular music, and um, these sorts of artifacts that are in front of us wouldn't be deemed as important. Uh, enough for traditional gatekeepers of uh, culture and, and heritage to collect, preserve, share, um, exhibit. But what you just described is, is exactly uh, the way I look at it, that um, these sorts of posters, this just this one poster or the cassette tapes in front of us, trigger memories within people. And although you might not have been at the gig, you might not have uh, helped put the, this particular poster together, uh, you might know some of the bands on there just by having uh, what would be classed as a mundane type of artifact in front of you actually helps trigger uh, um, memories and while they may be mundane they're also rich with symbolism and they're emotive and the, the things that you describe uh, are people standing in front of the walls being overwhelmed by the amount of them but then looking for the minutiae of themselves where, however that manifests itself whether it's the band whether it was a, 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 an audience member, whether it's someone who may know Arthur. My mum went, she never went to any of Arthur's gigs, but she had a, a wider understanding about some of the music activities that had happened or the things that I'd have done, you know, uh, when uh, I was living at home uh, uh, with, with my mum. So there's, they're, they're, they're very rich material evidences of people's past, of traces of past. And you're, you're talking about the bands. Well, we all like to think of, of what we've done, that we've done something in our, with our lives. So these types of uh, artifacts are, are those tr traces of who we are and who we have been, and maybe who we are now. I think there's a, a really powerful moment if you are in a band, and I, I haven't been in a band, but if you um, suddenly find your name, your band's name, on a poster of what's uh, what's coming up, then it's um, it's not so much you've made it, but you've made an important step to uh, to have. A, um, this um, signifying moment of, of, of your band's career. It's beyond merely the music. Well, uh, it's, it's something has become um, uh, physical, you know, something has become material. Um, and uh, the printed form um, does, does this in a way that uh, merely doing a live band that word of mouth has secured a certain audience uh, can't do. Well, the, the, the conversation around music, it tends to be a, a conversation around economics, you know, who are the biggest bands, who sold the most records, and you, have, you get that status by, um, by uh, being known, by being written about. But I actually think music, I, I look at music as, as a cultural pursuit, uh, popular music as a cultural pursuit. So this, what you've just said again about the bands on this particular poster, there's a couple of them that have some success, but the majority of them didn't, right? But it's not about economic success. It's about the, the cultural uh, uh, engagements, the cultural activities, that sense that they've achieved something within their, with what they set out to do. 
Uh, of course, if you asked them one, I'm pretty sure all of them said, yeah, we would love to have been the biggest band in the world. But our music history and heritage is overwhelmingly dominated by bands and musicians such as this that, you know, were important for people on the local scene but weren't economically successful. But we should tell those, their, their stories are as important as the Sabbaths or Duran Duran or U2 or the Beatles, whatever band you'd like to, to mention. Because their remembrances of, of cultural activity and cultural heritage, and that's why I collect the sorts of things that I do, and that's why I love, in terms of the, the visualisation of, of, of music, these sorts of artefacts that are in front of us. And that's why I love people like Arthur, who will have some... Um, fame's not the right word, but will have some standing within Birmingham for his longevity of doing it for 24 years. But there's tons and uh, tons of other people. I'd love to speak to the people of the Barb staff at the... The mermaid, or did the door at the, at the sorry the, at the uh, Jugabai, or did the door at the Jugabai? Because their stories and their remembrance of what they did in their lives through music is really important. So that's why you know that's why I argue these sorts of things should be collected, should be preserved, and the, the idea is then making that accessible whatever way so people can engage with them, remember with them, touch them. For, even if it's only half an hour, you know, it's stirred something in people. I think that this was a, a kind of a transitional moment, you know, in, in any band's career. Um, There's the first time that they get a gig. There's the first time that they uh, appear on a bill. There's the first time they, there's members of the audience that they don't know. So it's not merely that the friends they've told need to be there. But um, I think, yeah, this, this is um, very early moment of... Uh, and this kind of leads into the, um, the demo tapes then. I, I, I think this is the... Um, the earliest time when a lot of bands would be thinking about their visual identity. So in, in the case of the, the, um, the posters, then this is entirely Arthur's, um, you know, I, I guess there's the, um, the level of uh, the typeface used and Arthur has included that uh, rather sensitively, I think. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't spotted this when we were at the, the exhibition, but to include um, in, in the manner of um, a, um, a festival poster, to in include the, the the graphic and the, um, uh, the the particular typeface of the band, because it's their choice is a is a very significant thing, but that this poster is um, Arthur's um, and you know entirely Arthur's uh, decision how it should look. It's his night, but with the 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 um, the demo cassettes, while well, something interesting is happening here. Uh, and perhaps this is the first moment when the uh, the bands are thinking about their visual identity. And I've got to assume, I've got to make a um, uh, you know a, a, a broad uh, statement to say I think that all of these band cassettes, these demo cassettes, are chosen you know d designed by the band. I can see one which is from uh, local studio Richbitch uh, Studios there in Sally Oak. And um, it seems to be a, uh, a an identikit um, layout that there's um, the the band's logo and then any amount of space for you to include your own uh, your own details. And on this um, on this instance, there's no um, visual identity. The, the band what the band call the um, they are called Glass Front, um, and um, it's purely fact. So Adam is on vocals and bass. Eleanor is doing the vocals. Uh, Paul on lead guitar. Ben on guitar. 
and Jim on drums. Track one is No Reason. Track two is Fred's Head, and track three is Infertile. And that's that's all we know about um, uh, Fred's Head. There's um, a, a landline phone number that we can get in touch. I guess if we want any any more information, and I'm 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 willing to bet that all of these cassettes don't have websites. This is, this is something for us to test if we unravel them all. But uh, this is a very particular period that we're um, we're we're looking at. That um, um, so when was the cassette tape invented? This must have been early eighties, late seventies, early eighties. Oh, the cassette was seventies, uh, wasn't it? Because they had the um... Yeah, typical music industry as we're having now, but uh, home tapings killing music with the skull and crossbones. So they either, when the cassette came in, this idea that uh, suddenly the music industry would collapse under the weight of people uh, taping off the radio and not buying records um, was was prevalent, and uh, of course that didn't uh, come to pass. Um, so yeah, seventy. I I'm pretty sure actually the first cassette was was even earlier than that, but mass marketing of them. Would have been uh, in, in the seventies at the height, and then obviously we had the Walkman and uh, those personal um, Walkman type uh, machines, and the Ghetto Blasters, of course. Yeah. And this must have been the earliest time that a band could, you know, generally cheaply record yeah. uh, and uh, distribute their own music. That they they were able to claim something back from the um, the music industry they were able to claw a little bit of independence yeah. to um, first of all you know before being on a label I, uh, creating some visual identity for themselves but also to put themselves in a position of um, forging their own career rather than waiting to be um, discovered by I guess there'd be a rep would go to live bands from the um, from the, the record label Talent Scout, and uh, it was pure luck if if he happened to be mm. in your your audience. Um, but uh, the um, the invention, then the, the arrival of the uh, um, demo cassette, uh, really allowed uh, bands for the first time to um, uh, perhaps have a little bit of confidence in their their own um, uh, possible career. But also just get on with actually creating something physical and creating the first step on uh, wherever it would go, a stepping stone moment. Yeah, you'd have had uh, there was you know there's a lot of private pressings around, but they were uh, you know expensive, so you'd, people, bands, and musicians would get one or two copies pressed up on, on, on vinyl, um, and they go for thousands of pounds now. That's more prevalent in, in the states, but uh, you're quite right. It would have been live gigs, live events um, where you would have hoped the rep would come and wish you away and say we're going to make you millionaires. Um, and so the the arrival of, of the cassette one actually um, allowed you to record yourself, whether it's you know just plugging into a cheap um, stereo at home or a cheap PA at home to the things that we just talked about with uh, glass fronts and going to a studio and uh, and getting the recording on their uh, on their cassette tapes, which you'd imagine the quality on this. Not so much the music, but the the sound quality would be uh, would be higher than others. Um, but also, as you say, um, and what struck me when I picked up Arthur's cassettes and then I laid them out and I looked at them was the beauty, really, of of, of uh, a lot of the and the care of, of a lot of the the bands are put into because it's not a, a massive space um, to put uh, a lot of detail on on a cassette if you think about the cover. Um, 
but we have, you know, I've only bought five or six today, and there's multiple and some fairly simple ones, but they all, like I say, are creating a, a visual identity which enables you to have a sense. And I've not listened to any of these, I have no idea what any other bands sound like. Um, and I'll talk about that later on, but a little idea. Um, but you know, you can sort of get a sense of what type of band they are from the cover, I think. Um, you can make a, an educated guess. Uh, and I just love the fact that some bands have gone to uh, it seems to me a real level of detail while others like uh, Andy has just stuck um, a, a white sticky label on the front of a, a pretty sad looking cassette uh, his writing's not the best but he's got he's, he's called it Valve and it's four tracks Grow Your Hair Fly Forever Hunchback and Ride and he's, he's it's Andy is Tipics over the writing. It's a rather sad looking yeah, element, really. Nearly nothing about it uh, um, uh, makes me think, well, I'll play this mm. or I, I'm intrigued. Um, it, it's um, and on some level, you know, maybe um, maybe the, there is something to be said for being very factual about um, uh, if, if you are trying to trick somebody essentially if you're trying to uh, um, reel somebody into so we're looking at a cassette now called the psychotics and um, the, um, the the inlay card for this someone's gone to a lot of trouble to create this you know I think it's even professionally printed it looks like it's in the uh, you know the, there's a format um, that the printers uh, might uh, um, uh, be used to printing on specifically for um, uh, um, card inlays, tape tape inlays. The folding is all um, done by machine. Um, even this, the, um, the the part of the cassette that might dog ear has been trimmed um, uh, at a at a diagonal cut to uh, to keep things looking tidy. They have crossed out one of their phone numbers on the. Um, for information ring well they've, they've crossed out because they've moved house and um, uh, there's you know even within this there's a little story of uh, what the band have been been up to in the lifetime of this uh, uh, card inlay but it's a very psychedelic um, um, we're looking at the stoner rock uh, band Gary, here garage rock I reckon yeah right okay well um, just by the name the psychotic yeah, yeah, the, yes indeed this yeah. uh, and there's even a catalogue number yeah. for this one, Psy1, P-S-Y-1. Uh, so not specifically on a label, but uh, the band thinking about how this all looks, how this might be, maybe this is the difference between uh, um, uh, um, merely creating something for the moment and then having a sense of it being, um, uh, looking back at it for um, historical references. They include the date when it was recorded at Birdsong Studio, so I'm not too sure where where that is. the The dial code is o four six nine, so some town, some small town somewhere, and the the local studio there is Birdsong Studio, and on the seventh of July, nineteen ninety, um, engineer Steve Bird recorded the Psychotics. Well, um, what what my point is? Oh, and this is actually a little illustration of the band. This this is um, this is interesting that how the band choose to uh, portray themselves. It's a, again a little collage of um, of um, mostly hand rendered um, uh, uh, text lettering, but with um, uh, well, first of all, there's a, 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 a 
quite arresting, swirly pattern uh, of the band's logo, the name Psychotics, with um, uh, letters going all over the place. It's in a, a kind of a shield form. Um, but in amongst all this uh, information is um, the, the band themselves, just their eyes, just their eyes and slightly scowling or intense gazes. Um, so a, a very small detail, you know, this, this, uh, this tape inlay is not going to be seen by very many people, but the, perhaps the band themselves becoming aware of how they're going to be um, seen and how they're going to be seen at a critical moment for the first time. I'm, I'm wondering whether there's a kind of a dual um, purpose for the uh, demo cassette. So this isn't this isn't something I really thought of before. But is are, are we actually looking with with this um, uh, tape by the Psychotics? Are we actually looking at um, merch? Is this something that would be um, uh, for sale at the back of the room um, for a two pounds af after the gig or is it something that's purely sent out to record companies maybe it's a little bit of both i uh have to be honest i can't recall ever uh, buying or seeing tape um tapes for sale at the back of all i'm sure that must have happened you know i'd be amazed if he wasn't but they're quite um duplicating them is quite uh, intensive uh, and i i'm guessing though but i, I Think probably quite expensive to buy the tapes were, 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 um, was one thing, and then to be transferring all the music on there and then doing the sleeves would be quite um, quite an expensive thing to do in, in, in numbers. And as I say, I can't recall, I'm trying to think now, um, whether I um, ever bought, I'm pretty sure, I, in fact, I know I didn't buy any um, cassette tapes from bands that I'd, I'd, I'd gone and seen at the Jug or the Hair and Hounds or the Barrel Organ, whatever it might have been. Um, but it is, what I'm interested in, you see, is the detail that you just mentioned. The band names, you know, who, who, what, what are they doing now? Are they still in music? I'm interested in whoever Steve Bird is, uh, the engineer at Birdsong. What else has he done? Um, is Birdsong still going? Because all these things, as I said earlier, all these things go to make up uh, the music industry. And it's a it's a battle always to, to move away from the more famous things, um, and only uh, concentrate on, on on the famous. And say in Birmingham would be Black Sabbath or ELO or Dranjuram uh, and bands like that. This this is this for me is music activity. All these people going to the level of detail to make this you know really uh, attractive uh, sleeve for a, a demo to get a gig at the Jug of Ale in Mosley in 1990. I mean it's incredible really. Um, and I, I, I'm just taken that these things actually are quite important historical um, artifacts from an era, you know, what, 13 years, only 13 years ago, cassettes might as well not exist. You know, CDs are on, almost on their way out. I think uh, my, my relationship with tapes is that um, um, I see them as just uh, necessary but annoying things to have. So I don't like the rattle. I don't like the fact that uh, they seem to take up a lot, a lot of undue space, especially the demo, which has only got three songs on it anyway. You're ne the, the amount of time, unless you become a, a real fan of those three songs and they speak to you in a way that uh, um, recorded or um, rather um, uh, CD or um, other, other form of album uh, 
doesn't speak to you for, for whatever reason, then the, 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 this horde of demo tapes must have just been the, <laughs> the um, ugliest kind of um, annoying um, thing to have around, taking up um, that amount of space in the garage, because there was a lot, weren't there? There were like yeah. hundreds of these things, never being used critically. So this, um, this um, en entirely white elephant um, hoard, but then re I'm now, you know, um, rethinking my 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 relationship with it, with these tapes that uh, um, they they do have a lot of uh, the. The things that fascinate me about people and what their what their ambitions are, what their you know, I suppose what their expressions of their character, how this um, how this comes out, these moments of um, living the dream. I suppose this is a this is a critical moment in a in a, a musician a musician's career. You know, it's beyond just um, certainly forming a band and writing the songs is um, you know the, the real first moment. But to become involved in the industry, then uh, this is the this is like preparing for a job interview. You've you've left school perhaps, and this is creating a good impression, um, f buying your first suit possibly. You know, I don't I don't liken these um, these demo tapes to suits, but uh, creating you know working out what your um, what your dress is going to be, what your favourite clothes are going to be, what the look is that you're going to present to people. So, that, um, as in with a with a job interview, this I think this is the this is what's happening with some of these demo tapes. Maybe some of them really don't care. You know, maybe not so much they don't care, but they don't mind that much if no one ever hears it. That um, they they perhaps just felt it was the next necessary step after playing live for. A, that they, you know, what do you do once you've gigged for a few times? Well, they, I can only really think of a few bands which um, have been around for more than a few years that don't at some point think, well, let's make some recordings. Well, I think, I think uh, just to pick on that point, I think if you're a musician, once you commit something to tape or CD or MP3, whatever it is now, you want people to hear it, I think. I think... Perhaps 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the line, you might not want them to hear it for, for a whole host of reasons. But I think any band here, um, any of these five, six bands, wants, even if it's only Arthur, you know, even if it's only Arthur to give validation to them and say, okay, we quite like you, we'll, we'll give you a gig. And the out of town bands, you know, they'll probably be the bottom of the gig, no one will be interested, two or three people might. Um, but there's always, for the audience, there's always that. And for me, within these these tapes and the hundreds at home that I have, there's always that. Mm, I wonder what's in there. I wonder what's, what's what's been lost. What's really good. What's really bad. And it's not so much a judgment call on on the, on the music uh, per se, because I think anyone who who has the courage to um, put something or put themselves out there in any artistic endeavour, you know, deserves some level of respect. Because I couldn't do it. Um, but these people have taken the time and. And you're sort of giving yourself, aren't you? you know, imagine this band gone haze or 1995. This demo tape is, well, you know, we I might listen to this later on. I wonder they're from Toronto as well, by the way, miles away. But um, you know, what would they be thinking if they thought their tape has been rescued, their music from 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, isn't it? Uh, has has 20 years ago? Yeah, it's a long, my word, it's a long time. Almost 20 ago. years ago. 
Yeah, I wonder what they what well, what are they doing now? Who are they? What would they on earth think about two blokes in Mosley talking about their demo tape that's been rescued from a, um, a pile of bin bags? It's cultural heritage. It's 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 everyday history, and these are the things that are important to me. It's these everyday stories and histories that aren't deemed to be important to be preserved by a traditional archive or museum or uh, institution. For me. It, it just, it's just you know, it's a way of me engaging with my past through Arthur's work at the Catapult because he's just one of many. And that's why they're worth saving. That's why I think they're, they're of value. Um, not economic value, perhaps, but certainly in cultural value. I wonder if there's a project in um, taking some of these um, phone numbers, that, that, which are uniformly um, landlines, this fax number, um, uh, postal addresses, no, uh, of, of the ones we've opened so far, no websites or email addresses. But uh, to take those phone numbers and just see who answers. Um, so uh, if you asked for uh, Bob Cellini from Gone Hazel, and you say they're in Toronto. Well, it's recorded the audio lab in Toronto. Yeah. So unless they made the journey over to Toronto yeah. from uh, Kings Heath, then um, there's a band in Canada that um, are... Um, looking for UK gigs, I guess. But uh, this was in 1997. Um, the song's recorded, uh, or at least written, 1995 and 1996. So um, what would happen if you did phone, um, phone the number? Um, I guess there is one somewhere on this, on this sheet. Um, and yeah, say, there oh, there isn't. Okay, well, <laughs> gone Hazel, we can't work with them. They forgot to include their... Um, isn't that curious that we yeah. can't get in touch? Yeah, and they go to all that trouble. Yes. They, they printed all the lyrics out. There's a little, nice little drawing on the front. It's quite a nice design. And there's no way of getting in touch. Maybe that's some kind of comment on their music, <laughs> or maybe it's just um, an oversight. But it's, it, the the, it's called, the uh, tape is called The Gigging of Gets. Poor old Gone Hazel. Ain't going to get no gigs. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I wonder if they were closely mirroring, you know, because this is um, the format. looks like it's hand-folded for this yeah. one. It's a, an, a cut-down A4 piece of uh, green pastel paper. Uh, the folds are in the right place. Um, so it, it, it's, it's on, on the clear cassette itself. There's another label rather professionally um, uh, rendered lettering that's uh, cut out. Perhaps, I don't know if it's cut out by hand, but it's um, it looks good. And I wonder if they're just too closely, for this demo, too closely mirroring an album that they themselves have... Uh, so perhaps they've got a Cure um, um, tape at home. It's, uh, yes, it's, it's been played, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's midway through, so this one has... Someone has listened to at least two songs on, on this. But going back on your um, phoning up number uh, idea... As I said, I think there's something around 900 um, cassette tapes. There is somewhere in the region of 2,500 to 3,000 posters. This particular poster that we've been talking about today from 1998 has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 bands listed uh, over the months of November, December. The other uh, later posters that uh, Arthur did usually had three or four bands on it. So the problem for me is, you know, how do I get more information about the tapes, about the type of music, uh, is who, who the people were, and how do I list or find out more uh, about the bands that played at the barrel organ? 
and uh, we have a little idea if anyone picks up on this it'd be good to get in touch with us but to do almost like a crowdsourced uh, event um, type of event um, or project uh, and um, I don't know if you're aware of the John Peel project but uh, John Peel's had obviously there's a huge uh, archive going on online at the Peel Centre but he uh, his programmes weren't uh, saved by the BBC um, I think from about the year 2003 uh, 2000 onwards they were but there's a whole chunk of uh, music from the 70s and 80s where his shows were just wiped and of course you speak to anyone about music or in music and, and across the world uh, you know John Peel, John Peel was most of John Peel. So a really important figure. The BBC wiped or cleared all these tapes. And what's happened is there's been a, there's a, a group of people that work uh, online who have taped shows, and they've now created the complete John Peel archive based from people all over the world who've, who've uh, taped. They might have only taped one show, but that was one show that was missing from 1979, for example. Uh, and they've put these online. So you can now go and, and, and download these shows, all from cassette tapes. So we're just going to sort of take that idea and run with it. Obviously not as famous as John Peel, but we'd be interested in people who would like to have a cassette tape, would like to listen to it, we'd, you know, tell us about who the band are, uh, tell us about the music, and also take a poster and do a bit of research or put an entry on the Birmingham Music Archive line about, an example, Silver, who I have no idea who they are, but they played on Friday the 27th of November. And do a little bit of research and see what they can find. So almost like this phone, phoning up idea, but seeing uh, you know you're part of a club, you get a cassette, you get a, a poster, you keep the cassette, and then once you sort of earn that trust, then you can pick what, what cassettes you want. We'll index them all, and we'll just send them out to you. And you've got to go off and and, and, and do some research. We're interested in that sort of little idea. So if anyone's interested, do get in touch. Well, it's it's certainly a fascinating idea, and I, I, thinking about the um, those um, John Peel um, lost broadcasts, um, there's any number of uh, um, bits of information beyond the music that uh, would be included in that. So people would write in, um, not for requests, but just uh, comments uh, um, about um, this, that, or the other. Regular people would write in as well. There'd be um, uh, live listings, so uh, um, bands coming up or who had a tour. So uh, this really was um, beyond um, a kind of a standard DJ's playlist. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess... Well, his reactions to the music as well, you know, how he talked about the music and what he thought about the music, which is really important. And, and the letter, like you said, the letters that people were sent in and that he read out, and just a whole wealth. I mean, just I take the music out, as you've said, there's a whole wealth of uh, materials that go around supporting or uh, actually actively engage with the music. And yeah, today we are talking about the, the visual elements of it. Um, but, you, you know... There's, there's just a wealth of stuff out there that is that gives um, some context, I think, um, or some meaning uh, for individuals and communities around the actual sonic um, sonicness of uh, of the music. Such a word, sonicness. I don't know what the uh, yeah. Let's include that in our <laughs> dictionary, a Reesleaves dictionary. So, uh, taking a look at some of these um, these other these other tapes, then um, I think that the um, I wonder if this is this one looks slightly more recent than um, some of the others. I'm saying that because it feels like it's beyond a. Oh, it's, it's a <laughs> yes, it turns out to be from 
1996. For me, it just had um, the sense of Photoshop about it, but I guess this is more hand collaged. I think it's the fact that it's a, um, a colour photocopy, isn't it? So this must have been the earliest days of colour photocopying. Um, and uh, yes, a closer look reveals some of the limitations of the colour process at that time. Irving Welsh must have been a key influence of the um, the band because his face appears um, cut out of uh, I don't know Face magazine or something, and uh, there's um, a reference to train spotting and um, uh, other random collaged faces. I can see the Beatles included in there. Um, someone from On the Buses and uh, Roger Daltrey with a big uh, tin of uh, beans. So a little bit of um, uh, postmodern uh, uh, <laughs> approach to, and I wonder who this figure is, so juxtaposing this um, careful collage um, is a um, it almost looks like a police um, mugshot. I don't, I don't know if it is, but a uh, um, black and white photograph of a middle-aged chap in a, 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 a tweed jacket, but um, no immediate, no immediate um, uh, clues being given by the band is the very tall buildings, and um, not very much in the way of information either. So there is, a, there are from ah yes, they're from, on the cassette itself. They're from Leeds. There's a an address to write to for um, further information, but uh, n um, on the inlay itself, it, we, we, it stops at collage. You know, there's no no information about. Uh, it's hard to know what sort of music you're going to hear if you um, if you do actually get as far as playing this. And again, it's incredible, isn't it? And here, you know, for further info, write to Twelve Longford Drive. Well, you know, Arthur was getting. Piles and piles and piles of tapes. I'm sure other promoters were. They're just not going to go and write to someone. You know, no, no, indeed, yeah. Completely, you know, so this idea, even at that stage, you know, no phone number. I know email wouldn't have been around, but the, the thought. I'm intrigued by the thought process of musicians who go through a lot of issue uh, trouble to create uh, what is a very colourful, uh, interesting. Like you almost said like postmodern uh, uh, sleeve. And then ask you to write to them. I wonder if this just um, something. This you know, this is perhaps fanciful, but perhaps this is just uh, an expression of sh their shyness. That uh, um, if someone from uh, you know, if a music promoter did um, phone up um, and um, asked for them to um, express something about their um, their art, mm -hmm. I don't know. Then maybe they wouldn't uh, feel comfortable about having a, a conversation. I'm guessing some of these bands are, you know, teenagers mm. or early twenties, and um, so, uh, by providing some means of um, uh, contacting, then um, the um, the connection has been made. But um, as with this uh, mysterious psychedelic kind of, um, or I don't know how you describe it really, but just a little bit of fun collage. Um, it's an expression of something, but it's not a means to communicate. Mm. It's nothing to say um, uh, what the what the motives of the mm. bands are, what their influences might be. Um, beyond, um, I mean, with with 
Irvin Welsh appearing, of course, is a literary uh, association, so maybe there is the, the most oblique clue here. Although when did Trainspotting come out? Was that well? It, it was, was ninety six, wasn't it? It was the film came out in um, uh, ninety seven, I think it was. Okay. But um, he was certainly on the rise in uh, the mid uh, the mid nineties. Stevie Marys is making a small face. I'm, and Roger Dill. I'm guessing some sort of speed mod indie type band. It could be, yeah. You know, it could you're be. Right, there's no this indication is, of this what, is what it might be. Right in the midst of Brit pop. So all your uh, kind of menswear who would have been dominating the uh, indie charts of the day. Perhaps it's um, uh, an effort to merge with their movement. But do you. Do you think they should have? Is there an onus on them to give a, an indication? Or no, I, I don't think there's. I, I, there's no rules here, so I, I don't want this to feel like it's uh, you know how to how to succeed in the music industry, but um, being able to extract these clues from um, uh, what the people were like, you know, what the band members uh, were like. Uh, is, is the intriguing mm. moment. So the story here is uh, someone being excited about um, uh, being in a band, wanting to share the band, and um, just this raw expression of, uh, of something, of emotion or uh, enthusiasm. So this is totally a, um, a, an, uh, an enthusiastic collage. But um, it, it's be, this is, it, well, I suppose this is the moment that interests me with these demo t tapes, is that um, I don't want them to look professional. I don't want them to be studied, career-ready um, uh, moments. I, I, I like the fact that it's this um, point in their career where... Um, uh, they're m merely adopting some of the mantle of what it might mean to be uh, um, working in the mu music industry, part of that greater uh, experience. And it's the, the first gesture, the unconsidered. Um, some of these are unprofessional, but um, I like that. You know, I, 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 th This is the moment when um, um, expression is at its rawest and perhaps... Um, when things become slicker or more considered or uh, the, the band have a group meeting about what image they want to portray and agree on certain rules, then something's lost already before those um, crazy, um, meaningless or uh, uh, difficult to interpret. But you don't think they've had those conversations already? Because some of these strike me as they're very considered. And that's what I loved about it when, I, when, when we laid them out. That you know, from Andy's with his sticky white label, and you know, very little information to someone like the psychotic, which is a very cool. Yeah, yeah, I think you've got the range right in your your selection that we've moved through um, something from just uh, purely a format, and something that's actually uh, um, beyond um, beyond the, the you know, it's gone beyond the necessary. Uh, basics of including so with Rotunda we've, we've got a picture of the band uh, we can guess that they're local um, th there's not much else to go on but um, I don't think they look too happy the the, the, the tape as it emerges from the, um, the cassette shell is just a little piece of uh, masking tape and in um, um, red felt tip um, someone's written Rotunda just on one side 
Oh, and they've they've covered up the um, with a little bit of uh, masking tape. Um, two different types of tape there, actually three different types yeah. of tape. Uh, we're looking at uh, a little piece that's been uh, put over the um, uh, the tab that meant you can't accidentally record over it. So um, they've they've cared that much, but it, uh, yes, we, we're we're looking at a range of um, um, expressions then. I think these are still going. I think this is the pump band. Yeah, I, I do remember the, the name Rotunda, and I think their name still appears on uh, perhaps, um, I think I've seen a, a poster for something at the Actress and Bishop yeah, yeah. that they, they've played there. Um, so fascinating to think that they've been going for, what, nearly 20 years, mm. I suppose. Um, yeah. And as far as I know, no, um, no major, well, or perhaps any record deal, but they're just doing it for the, the fun. Yeah. Arthur put a couple of records out on the Rotunda record, actually, and I think they're on that. Um, but yeah, they might, they may now be signed to a punk label. If it's the same band, there's definitely a punk band going around now. Rotunda, who've been going for a, for some years. But I think, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that these are, these are the same people. So they may actually have uh, uh, signed to a, a couple of punk labels. But I mean, real to real studios, Birmingham, March '97. No idea where real to real studios is or was, um, and recorded by Lake. So it's, it's again for me. It's these when you start opening these things out, and I just pick these at sort of random read from one box um, to get an, a little spread. But it's the who is Legs? What was real to real? These there's a story behind the music which you've discussed because we haven't listened to any of this music. I'm going to ask you which one you'd want to. Which one you'd uh, you'd listen to? But um, so there's a lot we can gather, gain a lot of information. It's about how we use that information now. You know, how do we find out about who Rotunda are? Who Steve at Burn, Burn Aston Road? Who uh, Legs is at uh, Real to Real Studios? I'm looking very closely at the Rotunda inlay card, and uh, the band is standing against a, a wall. Um, only only one of the band is actually looking at the camera. Others are looking distractedly at, uh, perhaps consumed by their own uh, thoughts. I don't know, but there's, there are clues. You know, there are. Um, so what I what I said before as being a, um, a, a, a not a cryptic reference, but uh, a, a fairly um, unreadable image. Well, on closer um, examination, there are details. So the two of the band are wearing band t-shirts. And I'm kind of teasing myself, trying to work out what the um, what some of those bands might be. Uh, I, I don't think it's clear enough, but the, there might then have been a clue there. But I noticed that on the wall itself, there's some kind of um, uh, ventilation grill, and someone has biroed onto it, uh, rotunda. So there's this uh, kind of claiming of this uh, this environment for themselves. Which one, uh, if you had to just visually pick a cassette to play of all these, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What one would it be and why? I think Gone Hazel. I think uh, there's um, a... Um, this is the gigging of gets. We have no means to contact them. So this would be the one, <laughs> the one that I'd be visually attracted to, and then could do no nothing further with. But um, uh, beyond the um, hand-lettered uh, band name Gone Hazel, 
and a I don't know what the font is, but the gigging of gets is a um, printed, you know, um, designed typeface. But the the band have illustrated themselves, so without needing to look to see what uh, um, the, the music uh, instrumentation is, if that's included, uh, there's um, a, a drummer, a guitarist, and vocals, and the um, the bass player seems to be sitting down. The bass player is having a I guess we're looking at a bass guitar there. Uh, they, they've drawn in three or four thick strings, and, and I think we're looking at a bass. And this just is the, the you know, it's a childish stick man um, uh, drawing, but everything you need is there. I think um, that you know that they're confident enough to express themselves that way. Uh, the the tape is is not making any bold claims. It's not. Um, uh, going beyond what they feel their um, their uh, level in the music industry is, but they've got faith in themselves. Um, I'm reading all that just from some stickmen drawing, but uh, um, and also just the um, they've chosen a particular shade of green, you know, a, quite an attractive <laughs> pastel shade. So this is all I want from my my demo cassette. If if I'm um, um, connecting with it then I don't want very much and this, this is what's um, I want some visuals, I definitely want that but I, I don't want it to be um, uh, beyond I don't want it to be beyond expectations or I don't want it to look professional I don't want it to um, mirror anything else and um, Gone Hazel for me, for my money uh, get the gig, they get the gig, uh, and as as we we said, we we can't contact them, <laughs> so they don't get the gig. Then uh, punk stroke hardcore, they look for me. I'd, I'd go. I mean, I'm visually attracted to the psychotics um, tape, just because it, uh, I was very much into sort of rockabilly, psychabilly, garage music um, back in the late eighties, early nineties. But actually, I would go, and I'm going to play. Howl by Andy, the least visually appealing cassette tape. And I'm going to play it because I'm intrigued about what it is. The, the other one, the other cassette tape that has no visual identity apart from writing it is, is Gatsby. That looks too slick to me. The barrel, there's just no care in it whatsoever. And I'm just thinking, I have a nagging thought that Andy might be some fantastic acoustic singer-songwriter that's been lost to the mists of time. There are, there are two ways to read it. I think um, this could be a man who doesn't care at all about anything, or it could be that um, he cares about his music to the point where he he hasn't got time to uh, to to care yeah, about anything yeah, else. Okay. So if, uh, I mean, a big part of what Reesleeves is is to... Um, recognize that a big part of music is is peripheral it's got its own story and value but if if um, you're spending as much time thinking about your look or your um, album sleeves then that's time that you're not thinking about mm -hmm. your, your music and um, fundamentally it's it's the whole the whole re-sleeves um, uh, paradigm is a, um, a um, uh, it, it's confusing. It's it shouldn't make sense that we shouldn't want to spend that amount of time becoming interested in the the peripheral um, look of music. I don't think all art forms um, 
rely heavily on a carrier art form, another carrier art form. So maybe this is what Andy is has um, e either making a statement with this uh, um, uh, almost invisible cassette, or um, he naturally um, doesn't think about the the, yeah. um, the showy yeah. uh, um, um, element of what music can be. I, I, yeah, I I, I too am. Uh, Intrigued, but I've got a feeling I'll never know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll play it. We have a cassette player in the car. I'll, I'll torture the kids with it and see how long they last. But uh, yeah, I, I understand that uh, that point about uh, you know if you're spending too much time on the look and uh, your, your visual appearance, and that's less time on uh, in, in terms of your um, music. But when you combine them both together, um, it's a thing of beauty, and you know that goes back to the to the record sleeve, I suppose, and that's why we've lost. Um, I think with with the CD we've lost that that sense of uh, visualization of, of music, and that's what's so attracted me to the. I mean, I didn't know when I picked up the the, the cassette, uh, the bags, the black bags. I didn't know what was in there, and had no idea what they'd look like. Um, but when I laid them out and started boxing them up, I was like, "Whoa, okay, there's some really great, amazing detail, and these are just." Homemade cassettes, yes, you know, and I thought that the the, the time for some uh, Andy, obviously not so much, uh, just deserves a wider a wider audience and, and deserves a bit of respect and attention. And I thought when we laid them out at Vivid, they actually became they actually did become a, 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 an art um, installation. Um, and again, we laid them out in no order. We yeah, didn't I really thought to how we put them down. I kind of uh, recognised that they'd just been um, put on the floor, so they'd been ordered, but they were on the floor, yeah. and the posters were on the wall. So um, it, you know, you could have uh, created like I don't know a little um, uh, cassette uh, shelf or something for them to be laid out on. But they were these, you know, this is perhaps the least important of all yeah. the music formats out there. Um, this is the um, the, the least uh, um, relevant now, you know, and this yeah. is the most likely to be tossed out into the skip yeah. with um, with no further yeah. thought. And I love what you've done to um, identify that there are um, even within the smallest uh, detail uh, valuable moments that are that are worth pursuing and worth uh, thinking about. And it's only you know I don't think I was doing this in the uh, installation itself. I I just became aware that um, there's a format I'd never thought about mm. before. So all the all the um, times we've done resleeves or talked about uh, the visual identity of music, we haven't really spent any time thinking about this earliest mm. moment of. Um, um, movement into the, uh, the the real world of, uh, of the music industry. Perhaps with our last few um, uh, um, minutes, we can think about what the... Well, I'm interested that this is a, a very brief period, really. So I think the, the year 1997 is the, the most recent tape that we've got in this small selection. I don't know if you've done any analysis what the uh, the period of the greater collection was and when the the tape format for a demo um, disappears. Uh, the, yeah, well, disappears um, or, was or around, fades out. I suppose. Yeah, it was, it was around uh, ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, um, and 
in the garbage bags and the rubbish bags were uh, um, a smattering of CDs that um, Arthur started to um, be given or, or be sent. So this is these ones, like I said, I didn't even look at the dates when I, when I bought them. But these would have been towards the end. He, he was getting cassette tapes um, when he started, so uh, 24 years ago, um, 19, I forget my math, um, was, was relevant. And I used to buy tapes. I used to buy, uh, we went travelling in um, 95 and I've still got um, a whole host of Oasis and Pearl Jam tapes that we bought in Thailand um, because we had a little walk, Walkman type thing you know, to, to, to listen to music on. And that's the other thing that amazes me it's not so much the past period of, of cassette tapes from the early 70s onwards when they sold millions and millions of copies, but within you know, a very relatively relatively short time span, so 98, 15 years to the year 2013, they are virtually being replaced. Um, and you know, I think they're negligible sales. I, I don't even know if they produce them anymore, I'm sure they do, in terms of um, recording them. Uh, and I was just struck, uh, as we've talked about today, the fact that it was phone numbers that you had to, or in the case of uh, um, the very tall girls, writing back to them. And Arthur's practice, you know, he, he uh, I don't know if we touched this in the talk, but, you know, when he did a poster or he had a gig listing, you know, he'd have to go and post 20, 30 letters to the newspapers, the sounds, melody maker, enemy, uh, and he had to think carefully about the time, the printed time of those magazines. When he did his bookings, it was a really, you know, really complex activity for him yeah. to undertake. And, and as I say, he gave that great thought, and that's why I think he's a, he's a great promoter. Um, but then with the cassettes, like I say, they've moved out now. And uh, I, 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 I mean, I have some of them reason of 2,000 CDs, so I obviously bought into that um, idea of the CDs, and I, I, I play them. But they're not as emotive as as vinyl, for sure. They're not as emotive as these cassette tapes, and they're certainly, well, they probably are more emotive than, than MP3s. But we've had that, you know, in a 15-year span, we've gone from cassettes to CDs to now digital files, and that's... That's incredible when you think about that. It's such a small period of time, and yet the rapid change of formats, the rapid change that people are after promoting uh, practices about how he goes about sending everything out it's all online, it's all automated, is, is phenomenal. And again, the artifacts themselves, not the music, but the artifacts themselves, give us a, a way in to thinking about those sorts of things and, and to, uh, to talk about those sorts of uh, practices. And that's why I'm, I'm really keen on these sorts of materials. And why I argue, um, rightly or wrongly, or whether people listen to it, that these are important cultural artefacts. It is less about the bands in some respects, but more about how those bands and how we engage with music and music activities. There is one CD amongst uh, the mix, yeah. and uh, um, it's. I, I think we should talk about this. I yeah. think uh, the... Um, I wonder how long the era of the CDR uh, as a demo tape lasted for. So if it's the natural um, uh, um, next way on from the, the cassette uh, in about, what would you say, 1998, something yeah, like that. that. Yeah. And now I think they would be regarded as being quite an archaic 
format if you did receive one in the post it would feel like uh, someone making a hipster statement about uh, having a tangible sleeve or something which I still think is you know a a worthwhile direction um, to to explore what uh, what what moving back to an old format actually means but could you tell us a little bit about what uh, what this um, CDR actually represents yeah I brought this in uh, because this is a band I managed in um, late uh, 2000, 2004, I think it was. The band called, uh, they were called My Dad Hitler when uh, I managed them, um, and they subsequently changed the name to Iron Zeitgeist. And they changed the name because they got a lot of uh, attention from uh, London uh, music organisations, and particularly a, a, a PR and uh, marketing organisation who couldn't work with the name My Dad Hitler. But what I have in my hand is uh, this the my equivalent of the handmade um, cassette tapes this was a, a as you said a CDR that uh, we used to mail to record labels and uh, promoters to get gigs and it's handmade uh, very much like the um, cassette tapes so it's just brown wrapping paper you, you have to get those big rolls um, that we cut out uh, and we screen printed or we, we printed on um, an image of a, a man and a woman uh, seemingly having an argument and we built we tried to replicate some sort of city type scape out of the name My Dad Hitler it's spelled M-Y and then D-A-D and then H-I-T-L-A and that was a play on one of the band members dad's, you know, your dad's like Hitler um, and on the back we have uh, the songs and we have the um, crush where I was working at the time and all the yeah Phone numbers and mobiles. We've moved into the mobile age ah, now. Yes, right? that's our first. Time. So we have we have that, um, and here we have email on, on the on body. So this is quite a slick um, CDR with a handmade, with a sort of a punk ethos, handmade um, do-it-yourself uh, sleeve because we wanted to remain that sort of individual sense. And we'd send these out, and, they, and I brought it because it's important because we played with bands like Snowfield and. Um, uh, the Twang or the Neon Twangers at the time, and Snowfield went on to become the editors. We played with a lot of groups on Arthur's that Arthur promoted, and it was a way of uh, sort of signalling really that 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 move from cassette tape into CDR. And if I could have, I would have brought a, a, an MP3. Did you do the um, design on this jazz? On the on body. Yeah. Or the, um, the, the well, on both actually. The the um, you can see if you look at the disc itself, they've now changed the name to I Am Zeitgeist. So that's a much more professional. When we sent the original ones out, it would have been CDR, uh, hand handwritten, uh, and we had a little stamp. Um, and then we had we went to Gavin Monaghan's garden, uh, Magic Gardens in Wolverhampton, and he recorded this four track. And and uh, this is you can see we've changed the name. Uh, this is after we've got um, um, a fairly big. Uh, music um, PR company in London uh, working with us. We had people like Pius, um, who were a huge label, uh, coming to gigs. And, you know, they, well, this is true or not, they told me that, you know, they were looking at the Arctic Monkeys and um, I Am Zeitgeist at the time, and um, they lost out to uh, to um, Arctic Monkeys. So they did a showcase gig for us in London, and the, the band completely messed it up, as, as they always did. But they were, they were great times, and they were a fantastic band. Um, but we have moved, like I said, we have this DIY ethic of, of, of the handmade sleeve and then with a fairly slick looking um, um, CD, 
but even that's been superseded um, by uh, MP3s, and you know it's um, yeah you I can't physically bring a, 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 an MP3 to you, and I think the visualization um, cover flow is lovely, but it's a pain in the neck because it doesn't always work and it's the wrong sleeve sometimes, etc. You don't get the level of information in terms of metadata. You know it's not tangible, I guess, um, but that that beauty that I saw with the cassette tapes that you know there's a certain beauty with CDs when you when you rack them up you can you can see, you can get that um, sense as well but you can't get that with 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 mp3s well, I think it just becomes so obvious when you examine these cassettes um, physically there are all sorts of clues about um, even just how the paper insert is, is um, or card insert yeah. is folded yeah. so the very tall buildings it, it's merely um, squashed yeah. to fit in you know so there's no actual fold and I think the psychotics have uh, got a machine yeah. at the, you know the printers have supplied a um, a machine to um, fold the um, the card up separately and even thinking about how the uh, the card might yeah. dog ear were it to be used more than um, yeah. you know five or six times or something and the um, the wal walrus gum yeah. boot which we haven't talked about but uh, another quite slick looking uh, um, um, I, I can see two levels of folding <laughs> looking closely there's a machine folded element and then um, a uh, it looks like a hand folded element so of course with the uh, mp3 all of this is rendered mm. uniform that if you've got that far then um, th there's no um, um, uh, small level of physical clue mm. with which to read the band and I wonder if um, what we've been doing t today has been to um, over far longer a period of time than we would if we were the the promoter himself getting a glance but uh, creating a, an impression based not on the um, uh, the the band name or um, even the visual element but just the the, the greater um, uh, Expression in, in in clues in materials in um, um, professional level approach in in, in all, all manner of uh, layers which isn't visual, but which isn't the music either. Mm. Uh, and you have to make you have to make an effort to go and listen to this music. Yes. I know we've moved ahead now with the cassette tapes, etc. But even the CD, in some respects, you know, there's a physical act of having to go have a particular type of player. Um, and make that act of doing something. Whereas MP3, you someone sends you an e uh, uh, on uh, email or um, download. It's on your phone, so you might be listening while you're doing other things. You know, to, for me, it's that difference. So the cassette tapes would have, for a promoter, would, you know, in retrospect, were probably the worst things he could or she could have. Yeah. Because you'd have to sit there, you'd have to listen, you'd have to do a little bit of fast forwarding, stop it, listen again. You know. And I, I imagine most of them went by the, the wayside, and how Arthur would have chosen would have been either he knew them, or he'd have made a judgment call on what he saw in front of him, yeah. a bit like us. And if he thought, you know, I, I can I, I completely get you, you go, okay, that looks quite professional. That, there must be some thought in that, actually, I'll, I'll probably give that a listen. You know, whereas poor old Andy, yes. you know, was, was, I imagine, completely consigned to the dustbin of dustbins until uh, I came along and rescued. But so, you know, whether we whether it's right or wrong, it's th th those f first looks don't uh, don't care for everything, but they first looks do matter. Yeah, indeed. You know, and that's very true of music, and I think that's we're losing that with with MP3s. 
even if I'm listening to music on, on, on my laptop, I don't sit and look at the, the cover flow, you know. Yeah, well, um, I think this is the kind of, um, uh, one of the reasons that Re-Sleeves was born was that we recognised we're at a transitional mm -hmm. moment where we'd, we'd um, since a long time been in a digital age, uh, or, you know, relatively um, long period, and then just thinking about whether we missed the the visual element, whether it was going to naturally come back, if it if it did re you know if album um, large form sleeve art did reappear, what the reason for that would be, how that would be perceived mm. in terms of technology. So usually, um, uh, it's technology which leads the uh, the way, and um, to have a a retrograde step mm. like um, moving back to vinyl. Um, uh, is a rare and culturally significant mm. uh, thing to happen. Well, three D printing might be the, you know, could, might say the rebirth of. So you have digital files, but you know, the the the, the design and the data are sent to you. You print it off and you have a, a cover. Uh, you <laughs> yes, know, it, it could happen. It could happen. I would, you know, hopefully it will. I, I, I miss, you know, it is a bit nostalgic. I miss that sense of sitting down reading those notes, and for a music historian um, like myself. It is those engineers, it is those other session players who played on uh, albums, it is those backing singers, it is the managers, it is the labels, it is, I always read the thanks, you know, what, okay, oh, thanking such and such, I'll go and find out about them. And that's what I miss uh, about the visualisation of music, um, or the written uh, text around music. Well, I think um, this edition of uh, Reesleeve's podcast will be available as a cassette tape. <laughs> Fantastic. If, if, peop <laughs> if, if people want to get in touch with you about the um, the the project that you were describing earlier uh, about the almost curating uh, um, a particular cassette and taking it to um, an unprecedented degree 20 years on or, mm. or whatever a year would be, how would people actually get in touch for more information about that? Two ways, either go through uh, the Birmingham Music Archive, which is you know, just HTTP or whatever it is, uh, .com, and there's a little thing on there that you can contact me, or direct email is jez, J-E-Z, dot collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, at B-C-U, dot A-C, dot U-K. Jez, thanks very much. Great stuff, I really enjoyed it, thank you. Thank you.